Welcome back to episode six of Limited Time Only. I'm Hayden Dale from Arsenal Pass, host of Limited Time Only, a podcast all about things limited in flesh and blood, specifically season one focused on draft and outsiders, the outsiders limited format. Now on the pod this week, we've got an amazing guest who's just come fresh off the back of a top four at Pro Tour Baltimore, Yuha Sanilampe, uh, played Dromite of that top, amazing top four. If you saw that titan of a game between himself and ET winner, Michael Fing, uh, just, a, just a game to behold. But also, Yuha 6-0'd in draft at Baltimore. So wanted to get Yuha on the pod to talk about the experience and the lead up and all the testing and the big learnings that came out of what a 6-0 draft run looks like at the highest level at Pro Tour Baltimore. Now, had a few weeks off uh, since the last pod with Alan Lau and uh, talking drafting Ranger. Back at it now. Been away, traveling a little bit for, for work. And then, of course, we had the Pro Tour week where we, we put out some gameplay and uh, we, we took a couple of weeks off from limited time only, but we're back here now with episode six. We do also next week have an episode coming on Ninja, rounding out our sort of three series pod on fundamentals of drafting each of the classes in Outsiders Limited, which you can check out. And then we've got a few other amazing guests to kind of round out the end of season one of limited time only. We will also be doing a few things for Monarch Limited with the big announcement that Monarch is going to be the draft format for the national season coming up in a few months time. Very, very exciting. But before then, we do have, of course, the road to national season, which is kicking off this week for certain regions, particularly Europe and uh, parts of Asia. And then for North America and uh, other parts of the world the following weekend. I will be hopefully attending a couple of draft road to nationals, but focusing more on the classic constructed road to nationals, trying to punch that ticket to nationals. They have a PTI, ideally. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I know there's going to be a lot of people out there on their way to draft road to nationals. So make sure to check out that content next week on Drafting Ninja. If you're still, maybe you've you know you've heard Alan Lau talk about Ranger. You've of course heard uh, you've heard Chu Hing of uh, talk about Assassin. And uh, next week we'll be talking all things Ninja. And of course, a bit of a recap this week with Yuha on drafting and at the highest level for Outsiders Limited. So last thing I want to say before we get into the main part of the pod and the interview with Yuha is if you're enjoying the content that we're putting out here at Arsenal Pass, then make sure you do give us a sub, give us a like on these videos. Uh, maybe even drop a comment. Let us know what you're, what you're enjoying about these videos, what you're excited about for this upcoming road to nationals and national season. I ask Yuha the big question, what do you think about Monarch for national season? But we'd also love to hear what you, know, what you all think out there as well. So let us know in the comments below. With that said, let's get in and let's bring Yuha on to talk about drafting at Pro Tour Baltimore and his amazing result. And welcome to the show for episode six of Limited Time Only. I have recent top four competitor at Pro Tour Baltimore, Yuha Sanilampe. Welcome, Yuha. Thanks for coming on the show. Really excited to have you on. Uh, maybe just you know, give this opportunity for you to to tell us a bit about who you are and um, your kind of history and flesh and blood of people uh, people haven't seen you before. Absolutely, thanks for thanks for having me. First, uh, big big fan. Um, limited time only actually was one of the one of the reasons I did well at the at the PT. So so super uh, super happy to be on. Um, but I'm Juha. I'm a fab dad from from Helsinki, Finland. I'm kind of repping the, the Finnish and the Nordic scenes. Um, shout outs to both. And of course, all the fab parents out there repping, repping that uh, community, hopefully, as well. Um, the Nordic scene is, is, is probably where I've um, 
where I get most of my testing in, the, the kind of testing that, that is actually against strong players. Uh, but uh, mostly I'm a, I'm a Talishar grinder, to be honest. I have a six-month-old uh, daughter at home, which means I get very little planned testing time. So whenever I get 30 minutes here and there, I try to grab it um, and uh, play a game on Talishar. And uh, I know just before we jumped on to record, you told me that you've been playing since 2021 Road to Nationals. Uh, and uh, I, I, had, uh, I, I think I knew in the past, but you reminded me as well, thankfully, that you also top-aided uh, Utrecht as well back in. That was early 2022, was it? That's, uh, that, that was before Leo, right? And that was mid-2022. So in, um, I think it was July, July 2022, back in the FI heyday. Um, I think it was before uh, the stubbies were banned, so those were fun times. I remember there being a lot of fire mirrors at that uh, at that event in particular. Yep, yep. I want to, uh, Yuha. I want to ask you a question. We're gonna. I mean, this this episode is all about talking about some some of your learnings from Pro Tour, and you know, Yuha six six zero draft at at uh, at the PT is is something to behold. You know, it's definitely not easy to do in a, a really incredible field, and you know, as well as I think you went X two and in, in class constructor to take you into into top eight, but. I want to ask a question first, and I actually didn't put this on the notes, uh, Yuha, so I'm going to spring it on you a little bit, but European players in flesh and blood have, I would say, not seen some of the um, the limelight as maybe some of your North American counterparts have. And I want to give this opportunity to just tell us a bit about just how strong the European scene is. I know even in the Nordic area where you come from, there's a lot of really good players up there. Maybe you can just uh, plug a little bit about kind of you know some of the some of the players and and what it's like competing in that region. You know it's uh because what I understand is there's a lot of really good players out your way. There are a lot of really really good players, um, and I think it's um it might be less of a like a common scene across Europe. So you know we don't play each other maybe that much as 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 much as the the US players do. Um, but we of course travel to the events whenever we get them. Uh, luckily, we've, we've gotten a few now and uh, expecting the worlds, of course, but uh, really, really strong players. Of course, everybody knows about Matthew Folks. Um, everybody knows about uh, some of the other strong UK players, uh, Jamie Faulkner on, on, on his, you know, Tromai, for example, and his limited, limited um, uh, strength as well. And um, Ian from the Netherlands uh, was ninth at the PT. Uh, insanely strong in both both constructed and limited and um actually there was a uh there's a discord where we got to test some of the drafting against some of the top european players and and jamie was there and ian was there so even though i got only a few drafts in uh the the level of competition was high enough that that it really really helped me um so a big thanks to the to the strong european scene for uh for my success as well mm -hmm. yeah i mean i just want to kind of shout that out because i think it's something we don't we don't see as, as much of unfortunately in kind of some of the content that's out there and some of the the coverage and things like that and um part, part, i mean a big part of the reason i want to have you on as well and uh we've got we've got pablo coming on in a couple of weeks as well you know another obviously incredible european player there as well so uh yeah i'm excited to see you know be back in europe for for worlds as well um and, and playing against uh, playing against these top european players so we're going to talk a bit about drafting at the Pro Tour. You know, you alluded to a little bit of the, the, the kind of testing and, and things you did. I wanted to ask, first of all, what's your kind of experience with limited and flesh and blood? And what are your thoughts on Outsiders as a, as a limited format? 
I think limited in flesh and blood is probably the the toughest thing to get right. Um, I, I got the feeling from the game early on that it was very, very constructed heavy in its design. Um, and the constructed is, is just absolutely perfect. Uh, it is by far the best game I've ever played. Um, the limited side has a little bit more, uh, you know, that it needs. Because I'm, I'm coming from Magic. I wasn't a very strong Magic player ever, but I, I drafted a lot of, a lot of um, MTG Cube. Uh, like power cube drafting, and that's that's the most fun uh, you can have, I think, with 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 card games. Um, and just the huge, huge gap that there is between the enjoyment factor of of um, fab draft versus magic cube draft. I think that's where they need to put a lot of effort in the future. Just the the amount of dimensions that are, are there, right? Because it's a hero-based game, which, which makes it really, really tough. You can't have this mix and match uh, set up very easily of, you know, taking one color and then staying open for the other and figuring out what's going on at the table and so on. Um, but I think they can still do a lot more. Uh, the hybrid cards were a positive surprise. The very limited nature of the hybrid cards was a, was a negative surprise, right? That there was only you know basically one per pack and 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 there was no ninja ranger hybrid so i think they need to really really up the game on the on the various dimensions um that you need to kind of cross optimize while you're drafting uh, so so it's not on on rails because currently the way it kind of is is that it starts to be on rails from pick you know three to five in uprising or from pick you know six to 12 in, in Outsiders, and that's really the variance. So how can you make it so that it's not on rails until you know, early pack two, for example, or mid pack two? That would be, a, that would be the dream. Yeah, every, every extra little bit of openness, or like you say, staying off those rails for a little bit longer just adds potential deviations and, and interesting scenarios that come up. And uh, you know, I definitely feel that way as well, particularly with Uprising, it felt like you know, once you got in towards the end of pack one, it was just about making sure that you optimize your picks and making sure you're just taking basically the correct pick based on the experience you have and the learnings you have to have the right 30 cards when you shuffle up and play i felt that a little bit different personally in an outsiders to a degree where uh, maybe because it is a newer format you know we didn't play it for eight months like we did for uh for uprising but um that there was a little bit more variation in what you can do with with the decks with the, the six heroes but uh yeah i mean like you say step in the right direction but hopefully we'll continue to see limited grow and i think we're both on the same page about how important we think limited might be to the future of the game as well if they can get it right yeah absolutely the, the six heroes that was a fantastic idea um i couldn't I, I didn't think of it myself but um but a really really cool idea that adds a little bit more of those open dimensions to uh to a very on rails game yep while we're talking about limited briefly i want to ask you because it's just been announced that well at, at the pt where, where you were in baltimore been announced that we're gonna be playing monarch for nationals in the draft format as well as uh, a few other things surrounding that as well what's your thoughts have you drafted monarch before uh, are you excited looking forward to it uh dreading it what's your kind of thoughts on maybe monarch coming back as the next limited format for for a short time um, i'm more dreading it than anything else i've i've never drafted a single draft of monarch um i started in the monarch season but uh but monarch draft wasn't really a, a competitive format anywhere outside i guess uh new zealand and taiwan um haven't drafted it. I'm, I'm really looking forward to try it out, to be honest. I think it, it could be a lot of fun. Um, 
but I will not, of course, have a lot of testing time. So, so I will even in the nationals, I will probably be behind some of the stronger players uh, in Finland. So, so dreading it a little bit. But uh, I think it's a really, really fun idea that, to make sure that you have three drafting seasons during 2023 as well. Yep. But of course, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't happen again. I'm hoping next year we have three draftable sets. Um, that's the that's the dream, right? Yeah, agree. I would love to just draft more. I mean, Monarch, I don't mind Monarch. It's definitely not my favorite, but it's not my least favorite. Probably sits somewhere in the middle. So uh, I don't mind revisiting it. But I, like you say, I'd love to see some, some freshness next year. All right, let's talk drafting at the Pro Tour. Uh, what everyone wants to hear you talk about rather than me rattle on about Monarch drafts. What about, I want to learn a little bit about your lead up to the PT. So maybe you can tell us a little bit about how you prepared for the PT and um, what, are, you know, what are some things that helps you get to the 6-0 record? You know, what about drafts specifically sort of set you up for success? I know you talked about uh, drafts of some of the top European players. Was there you know, that plus other things? Um, yeah, so, so maybe very, very quickly on the CC side. So having only very little testing time and, and very sporadically here and there, uh, against mostly randoms online uh, meant that instead of locking my deck in maybe a week in advance, I had to lock my deck in a month in advance. I, I made the smart choice of, of doing that. So I, I, I locked Dromai well in advance after I had kind of given up on Uzuri um, in, my, in my brewing. Um, I got 80, 90 CC games in, something like that, uh, uh, mostly online. Um, so that was kind of my CC... CC prep. My draft prep was was trying to play some of these online drafts um, on this server with with some of the strongest European players, with with some North Americans jumping in here and there. So I got to play Yuki, for example, which was a a lot of fun. Although both of our Riptide decks were extremely horrible, um, <laughs> uh, but that that was a learning experience as well. Um, so I got I think seven online drafts in, and then a couple, or I would say you know one and a half. Um, live drafts in, in Baltimore on the Thursday. Um, so very, very little prep compared to what I would really like it to be. I would, I would like to draft maybe upwards of 20 times at least. Um, but I think given the, the competition and given the thinking I, I did in between the drafts and after the drafts on, you know, what does a good deck look like? What did the winning decks look like? We had the the deck list up, up always, so I could take a look at the the top decks, the winning decks. I could do some math on the on the pod win rates actually on that server, which was super super useful. Um, so, and of course, then I listened to your podcast. I listened to On the Bobble, um, where they did some some uh, limited reviews and so on. Uh, super useful to get get some of the insights that I didn't have time in my you know nine drafts to get myself. Like, for example, how do you draft Riptide correctly? Um, I, I never learned that myself, but I, I learned it from, from the content I, I listened to. Yeah. It's interesting. You talked about, you know, breaking down post the drafts. And I think that's something that people might not do a lot of. You know, they might just play the draft, they draft out their deck, they play the games, and then they pop it in the deck box or they break it down and that's the end of, of the draft. But it sounds like for you, you know, there's, there's more to it. There's a bit of analysis post the draft. What, what does that kind of look like for you? What are you trying to learn? And, and I guess, what did you learn from doing that? Yeah, I think um, the first thing I often think of after draft is, is, was I drafting the correct class or hero for the seat? What could I, do, I have done differently? Um, what signals could I have read differently? 
what signals that I sent could I have um, acted on differently? That kind of stuff. Or or was it you know if I end up one two or something, uh, and my deck wasn't that good, was was it my own fault or was it just randomly people switching? That kind of stuff. So um, uh, it was very useful to see kind of what the entire bo- uh, pod drafted. So the hero hero split. So that tells me a lot about um, you know whether my seat was correct or not. Um, and sometimes you draft your the correct hero for the seat, but it still uh, it still ends up badly. Um, and especially in those cases, you need to think about you know what what were the cards you picked? Did you did you have the wrong understanding of what a good deck for that hero looks like? Which very early on in the format is is um, is very often the case because you don't. I, for example, in the in the beginning, I didn't really realize what a good Riptide deck or what a good Azalea deck looks like. Um, and and I th- I probably thought that there was more cards split between them that you could kind of pick for both, whereas their their pools are actually very very different in reality. Um, you see me talking a lot about the uh, Ranger because uh, out of the now 11 drafts after the PT. I think I've drafted Ranger six times. Uh, mm. Seem to have a clear bias for the bias for the class. All the way to the point where, at the P, uh, well, going into the PT, I told myself, you know, do not draft Ranger. You have a bias for it. <laughs> Try to avoid it if you can. But uh, but uh, yeah, then what happened is, is I drafted Azalea in my first draft. Okay. Yeah. And and obviously in win three zero, so it it worked out. The one of the things that I find, you know, similar to your kind of learnings is one of my most important things with draft is, is the, the post-draft. You know, sometimes even I found getting later into testing seasons, we might only draft and then play like one round and where a lot of the important information or learnings I find comes is in that kind of post-draft, you you know, that analysis you talked about. Uh, I know for us, like if we're doing in-person drafts, then we'll sit afterwards and we'll break down what we each learned from the pod and what we thought we would have done differently or should have done differently uh analyze some of the picks if we can um you know people will often note down or, or take a picture of like really important picks to come back to so that you know as a discussion point you know those learnings like you talked about in this instance did i take the right card that maybe let me into the right hero between the class in this set is quite important or did i identify the pivot at the right point or did i identify the pivot too late and put the person i left into the same hero or same class in the set that i ended up drafting there's so many i think fascinating things when it comes to to those particularly first six to seven picks that you talked about and then i'm also just analyzing what you can learn to take away uh i I, personally i find you know there's, there's the draft and there's the gameplay and they're two pretty unique things and i think you need to treat them as such you know Get your draft learnings and then get your gameplay learnings uh, separately if you can. Helps a lot. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so talking about your drafts at the PT, so you you drafted Azalea in your first draft. You went three zero, and then in your second draft, what hero did you uh, did you draft in in the second? Uh, Azuri uh, in my in my second draft. So I stayed away from my Ranger bias for once. <laughs> um, and I think both of those, of course, you know, when you three zero, you probably drafted the right hero for the seat. Um, but uh, both of those felt like it, yeah. Well, just going back a little bit second to your preparation, what are some of the like the big learnings you had in those? I know you said mm. you only got nine and a half, eleven drafts in, whatever it might have been. But what were some of the big things you took away as you as you were heading into the PT from from your learnings? I think there were two really big ones. Um, one was around rangers because that's what I ended up drafting 
uh, around half the time or, or a bit more. Um, I learned that Ranger is a little bit special and you need to be super, super careful going into it. Um, because first of all, Riptide has really bad pod win rate compared to the num number of uh, Riptides picked. And, and part of the reason is that like the train wreck garbage fire decks, they often end up on Riptide or they end up on Uzuri. Because if you have bad stealth cards and maybe a couple payoffs, you might end up on Uzuri. If you have a bad Ranger deck, then you end up on Riptide. And that's why those two heroes have a lower, lower pod win rate probably than the others. But the, the Riptide one is even you know, significantly lower. So you really, really want to avoid Riptide unless you know exactly what you're doing. Um, and given that the, the kind of winning Riptide deck probably has 35 plus cards, has a lot of traps, maybe some come to fights can, can, can you know, sub in for some of the traps, but you need a lot of these cards that can get around Spider's Bites. And traps are, of course, perfect for that because they serve a, a double purpose. Um, and you need a lot of, lot of good arrows. You don't necessarily want a lot of pumps. I mean, they can be good. Some of the good pumps are, of course, good in Riptide, but but it looks very, very specific because it's a fatigue deck because you have no way to push damage. So it has to be a fatigue deck. Um, so you need, need the amount of cards. And, and what that means is that if, you, if you're targeting to draft like 37 playables into your deck, uh, you can't you know, dabble in other classes for, for very long. So you need to be super careful. And then the fact that Riptide looks very different than Azalea, because all Azalea wants is a lot of pumps, almost as many as you can get, uh, and arrows, and preferably nothing else. Maybe some toxicities, maybe some Ravenous Rabble Reds in there, but even in my PT deck, I cut the Ravenous Rabble Red from my Azalea deck because I thought it was going to be better, better without it. Um, so the fact that those are very different, and they probably need to be on an open hero means that you need to be super careful going into Ranger. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, of course, still, if you, if you notice it's, it's truly open, you know, pick six or seven, something like that, you notice you're getting a, a lace with frailty or, or, or something like that, then, you know, you can go. And that's exactly what happened in my, uh, on my PT um, draft. But, uh, you know, a, a broken Azalea deck is still broken. And, and it has a, a decent, uh, a very good uh, pod win rate. Riptide, you need to be super careful, right? Because if you've wasted your first four picks on something else, then you're probably probably screwed already. Um, the other learning I had was was around kind of the the cards that seem to keep you open. They often don't, right? Because the generics are not many of the generics are not truly generic, and even many of the hybrid cards are not going to all the heroes. Um, and again, this is a bit of a bit of a ranger example, but Given the fact that Azalea doesn't want almost any of the generics, except, of course, Scout and uh, Ravenous Rabble, maybe Seek Horizon, um, and Come to Fight, of course, uh, but it doesn't want the freewheeling renegades, it doesn't want the feisty locals, these things that you think of as like truly generics that go everywhere. It means that many, many cards like freewheeling renegades, it actually already uh, puts you on, on some direction. Um, as well as things like the traps or, you know, cards like Death Touch or Pox Malone, whatever it's called, a uh, Violent Touch. Um, it's not really going into four heroes. It's going into three heroes. Um, and you need to really keep that in mind when you're drafting these cards, that some of them are actually 
assassin ninja cards and not generics. Uh, also, due to the fact that you rarely want to go Riptide. So if you'd like to avoid Riptide if possible, and Azalea wants very specific cards, meaning that many of the generics are actually assassin ninja cards. Would you, would you say similar for maybe a card like Got the Periphery, for instance? You know, is that a, that's a card I know a lot of people don't want to be playing in uh, Azuri in particular. Like, would you say similar for that, or would you find that most of those will always go into Assassin pretty easily? Uh, Scout, I think, is mostly an Azalea card, to be honest. Um, you can play it in Riptide, no problem, but it's, you know, it doesn't shine there. Um, but it's, it is very much an Azalea card, so that's a perfect example of a, of a generic that's not really a generic. So what this all means is that the decision tree of how you pick your hero is not straightforward in this set. Um, so what I kind of did at the PT is, is, is my thinking was I try to stay open for Assassin and Ninja, and I pick generics and I pick Assassin Ninja cards or, or things like that, that that keep me open on those two. And then I read the signals on which, which classes are cut and which classes might be open. And I would pick out of those two the one that feels more, more open, unless I see, you know, pick five to seven, that Ranger truly, truly is open. In which case I can, I can look at my pool or I can think of, you know, what I had in my pool. Does it support still going into Riptide? Um, and if I have wasted too many picks, it probably doesn't. Uh, in which case, I can still probably go Azalea, especially if I have, you know, a Scout in there or a Ravenous Rabble or a Come to Fight in there or something like that. Then, you know, in that special case, I would go Ranger. And otherwise, I would try to pick the more open one of the Assassin and Ninja, yeah. Ninja classes. So it's a, it's a strange form of a decision tree. Yeah, it's um, my takeaway from this draft format is... In these early picks, it's all about margins. You start to get picks that are actually, on the surface of it, they look not very close. You know, there's a card that's just in a vacuum more powerful. But considering the information you have at hand and the risk you're taking on potentially taking the more powerful card versus a, a less powerful card that might go into more of what you think is potentially open on with the information you have so far, these decisions start to they start to add up and they come quickly. You don't have long to make these picks in a in a time draft like people will be facing come road to national season you know come uh, of course like you had at the pt callings etc so uh it's it's not an easy thing to do either <laughs> yeah what about i guess some of the preferences you had in draft i know you, you talked just then about staying you'd like to stay open for for ninja assassin and then if the, the ranger was open particularly azalea you, you'd jump in so it sounds like to me you know Forcing a hero was kind of off the table for you. Is that is that where you kind of stood in this format? Absolutely. This is this is not a format where you force a hero, in my mind. I, I heard some people do it um, successfully, and of course, if uh, if you're known to be the the ninja drafter and everybody at the pod knows that you are the ninja drafter, of course that helps. But I don't think that happened very much. So you you really want to stay open. Uh, but but you can also stay open while picking strong class cards. Um, so that's completely fine. In, in my, in my second draft, I, I first picked a surging strike red and I ended up on Azuri. So it's completely fine. You don't, um, and I think in my first one, I had an, had a red infect and a red razor's edge in my pool before I switched to, switched to Ranger. So you can also stay open while picking strong class cards. That's, 
that's fully possible, uh, especially for the heroes that are fine playing 30 cards. So for Riptide, you, you can't really do that. I have heard uh, I heard a lot of people kind of talking about the format and something that I've kind of disagreed with is, and similar to what you talked about is you know people saying okay the the six power reds they're like okay those are my instant first picks if they're in my pack because they're the card that keeps me the most open I think like you just you just talked about pretty specifically that's not necessarily true you know it's not keeping you open to, to all six heroes um, and I guess what people have also said that they don't want to do is people like I don't want to take a class card first pick you don't you're not married to your first pick you know uh you don't have to play that first pick and i think it's really important for people to understand that and, and keep that in mind is that yes you you know you get more powerful cards at the start of the draft and so you and you don't want to be burning picks but also if you see yourself up in the right class and you take maybe a risk here or there you're going to get more you're going to get rewarded with more powerful cards uh in later packs anyway so it's a it's a real real balancing act i think it's important to remember that absolutely what about you know we talked about staying open um did you i mean you talked about your massive experience with ranger or you know the, the majority of your experience being in ranger heading into the pt and staying open to ninja assassin did you have a preference between those two like if you if you got the perfect seat in every draft would you have been azuri or arachne for instance or would you have been happy being a benji or a katsu i think i had a bit more experience with uh with ninja so probably i would have gone that way it also fits my play style a little bit more i'm traditionally an aggro player i played a lot of fi in the uh, in the uprising um draft uh, so probably ninja but that uh, pretty pretty even between those mm -hmm. what do we talk about some cards because you've talked a lot about like, concepts and you know the sort of things you're you're looking for but you open up that that pack one pick one what are the cards that you're ideally looking for you know when you open this pack one pick one i know you you talked about generics maybe not being the be all and end all like people have talked about so is there specific class cards you think are so powerful you just want to see or is there maybe just very specific uh, generics um come to fight red is what i would always want to see because it it goes into everything is i guess it's not the best in ninja but it's still you know very playable in ninja um it's very very good against spider spites so um it's kind of the 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 worst case scenario against assassin is that you block for three after a spider spite, which is which is a, a really really good good use case for it. But um, of course, in Azalea, in in you know in assassin with these on hit stealth cards, it's uh, it's really good to also pump them. Um, so that's one. The good two for sixes, absolutely. So I would like to open a, a red humble, for example. Um, you don't really want it in the perfect azalea but it's 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 playable there but at least it goes very very well in the other other five heroes or then just some of the strongest cards in the set like death touch red or bonds red or looking for a scrap red uh, looking for a scrap is, is is that i really like it's a it's an assassin ninja card but it's a really really strong one yeah yeah i think it's um i think it's one of the strongest first picks in the set to be honest my my takeaway when when it's in those decks it's just the power that card brings to you in skewing you know overall damage and turn cycles is 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 really big uh i wanted to talk a little bit about something that's kind of been i know a topic that was discussed by a few players at the pt and this kind of set in general and how it differs to some of the, the previous sets we've seen and that's around equipment you know we heard at the start how people were not that inspired by equipment and then people were saying how powerful equipment was and then people seem to have come back the other way so what's your take on equipment and the set how important is it to you in draft you know kind of whereabouts are you taking it in the draft and and what equipment do you think is if any the, the better of the equipment 
Um, I think there's a big range in the equipment. I started drafting it super highly in the in early on in the format, uh, format, but I came down a little bit. Um, currently, my thinking is that Tunic is a is a very high pick. Um, you usually want the Tunic in your in your deck. It, it, it just makes makes almost any deck better. Um, especially the Rangers, just really really fantastic to be able to you know shoot an arrow off a zero card hand, for example. Um, so that's that's kind of at the very top. Um, and then for Azalea, you want the Wayfinder's Crest, super super high, uh, or you want to just make sure that you have it. I mean, of course you can. If you read the table, you figure out there are not that many Azaleas in the in the on the table. You don't need to pick one early because you might you know likely see one later. Same with Mask of Many Faces for for Ninja. You just really really want it in your deck. Um, and then after that, you have every Blade Break equipment basically uh you want to make sure you have one or two of those in your deck preferably two uh, for all the breakpoints and then and for the you know benji shenanigans and all that um and then everything else is is i would say far behind um the silk and gi i'm not a huge fan of seekers equipment is fine paired with uh, peace of mind it's also fine in azalea in in multiples but uh not that great than the the Fleetfoot sandals. They were actually surprisingly good, um, especially in Assassin. I I actively seek out the Fleetfoot sandals late on in the in the draft because you can do cool things like uh, you know attack with spider spite, attack with sneak attack, and then you Fleetfoot the spider spite and uh, uh, cool things like that. Or or just you know anyway, you you attack with a, a blue stealth card on your Uzuri deck and they double block it because they really really don't want to take it and then you fleet foot uh, and, and uh, it leads to some crazy pro so yeah exactly so it's it's been um surprisingly good compared to the the early set reviews where you look at the card and you're like oh my god this is the worst snapdragon i've ever seen yeah that, that sounds like a dig at me and uh, i was definitely most wrong on that card i would say as soon as <laughs> i at the at the pre-release i i did exactly what you just said spider's bite into into red sneak attack and an arachne deck opted on my spider's bite my opponent's like, wait, what? I'm like, yeah, that's how that works. And I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I think I was, I think I was wrong on this card. And then immediately in the next game, or the next, the next pre-release when I was playing Azuri, same sort of thing you talked about. Came in with with uh, a blue, a blue attack, leaf with sandals, then come in just with the the six power afterwards. So it's um, yeah. card's quite a bit better than uh, than some of us thought early on. <laughs> I think all of us were on the same train of 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 it being super weak. We should we should have known. Why would LSS just print this completely useless card? Of course they didn't. So, uh, good learnings, I think. Like you say about equipment, I think um, you know where they stand. I know Blade Breakers come really highly for for almost everyone. I think who's practiced this draft format a lot because of those breakpoints, like you talked about. I think some of the ones like Seekers, uh, some of the the non-specific to a hero, Silk and Gee, for instance, like you said, maybe come down a bit more. Uh, I want to ask you before we sort of talk a bit more about the the PT and then uh, do pack one, pick one with you is peace of mind you like the card do you not like the card it seems like it's one of the most divisive cards in this format for whatever reason i'm i'm so and so i can i can take it it's fine it goes to most decks um i'm not high on it i'm not like super low on it it's it's fine if you get the the seekers and the peace of mind and the blue and and you get to use all of that damage prevention then you're living the dream um it doesn't always happen sometimes you draw it without a blue 
and you need to use it. Sometimes it clunks up your hand where you want to be blocking and blocking for more, and and uh, it you need to use two cards to block for three or four or whatever. Um, it's fine, but not great. Okay, so we've we've got a fence sitter. That's what I'm hearing, mm. <laughs> which is fine. Yeah, I I uh, I'm not sure I have a wrong feeling either way. I, I I do like the card. I like ponder tokens. I want ponder tokens. So uh, yes. maybe I'm a little bit higher, but let's talk about draft of the PT. Obviously, you talked about drafting Azalea, and then uh, you drafted Assassin in your in your second draft. Uh, I wanted to, I guess, find out a bit about kind of how how were your matches. You know, did you did you feel like you kind of just aced the draft and you had really strong decks that led you to kind of have I wouldn't say you know an easy time of it, but a, a, a better run where you felt really confident in your matches, or you know, did you have a lot of sort of close, closely sort of contested matches at the PT? I think most of my matches were closely contested. Um, there might have been like one, one complete run over with the with the crazy Azalea deck or something like that, but uh, uh, really, really, really strong opponents first of all, um, and mostly really close matches my first uh, the azalea deck it was uh 22 arrows one yellow toxicity and and seven red pumps so it's uh it's it's really living the dream i I had to cut ravenous rebel red and i had to cut two red arrows because they weren't the the best arrows for azalea right because azalea wants all the arrows except falcon wing murkmire grapnel and skybound shot so all of my 22 arrows were the others, right? Oh. The the on hits, the widow makers, and the spire snipings. So I was I was the only Azalea in the pod. There was one Riptide in the pod. I could get everything I, I ever wanted. So so I was I was really living the dream. Um, uh, two lace with frailties, one lace with blood rot, uh, one red uh, Fletcher red tail, uh, three scout the peripheries, I think something like that. So uh, those games were were kind of. They were difficult because my opponents were strong and they had strong ninja decks, which put a lot of pressure on me. But otherwise, my, you know, I, I think I, in a sense, earned the wins with my deck because <laughs> uh, I was both, both lucky and, 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 and knew how to draft a seat. So, because uh, what you do with the deck is you, you, you play, after you've played all the pumps, you can always blind Azalea into an arrow. That is usually relevant unless you hit a spire sniping. Um, so against uh, Zach Bunn in the pod final, I could, you know, after I played all my pumps and, and, and um, you know, had gone through my deck, basically, I could start blind assailing into an arrow and always push damage through. So I had inevitability in the deck that, uh, that you don't always have if you have to put these things like Feisty Locals or, or Peace of Minds in your deck. Um. And then your your second, I guess, draft pod. How was how was the deck? Did you feel overall like if you were to give the, the second? It sounds like your your Azalea deck was kind of like a maybe an eight to nine out of ten. What about your Assassin deck and and the second pod? How did how did that go? I, I think my Azalea deck was a ten out of ten. To be honest, yeah, right. um, I don't think I'll ever <laughs> ever ever draft as as strong an Azalea deck. But uh, my second one was it was super consistent. Uh, I think I had like fifteen stealth cards and something like ten or eleven payoffs. If you count the spike, I think I had a spike with frailty and then like nine or 10 uh, payoff um, attacks. So super, super consistent. I could almost switch, a, switch an attack in every, every turn and then block, block for three most of the time. 
on my opponent's turns. Um, and I think there were like four, there might have been like four assassins in the pod. And most of them were to my left. Uh, because in, early on in the draft, I was picking the sixes and the sneak attacks. And I was passing a lot of strong parts. So a lot of the people on my left went to assassin. Uh, but that didn't really hurt me that much because I could just take the, the yellow prowls and the blue malines or whatever at the end of the draft and just, just fill out my deck. Um, so I think I won off of consistency. But, uh, but really, really, really strong opponents. Really good games. I had to make a lot of decisions, um, which, is, which is what I like about this format. That the, the games are a little bit longer. means you have to make a lot more decisions and, and every, every one of those counts. So... Yep. So, shout out to all my opponents. Uh, I guess last question for me before I ask you just maybe recap some some key learnings is pack distribution at the PT. Got asked the question. We asked Tarek the question on uh, the pod on the main pod last week. Did you feel that it was less than ideal? Were you okay with how the pack distribution ended up? Did you have any kind of overall thoughts, or did it just not really matter to you? I was. I, under, I fully understood the decision that LS has made um, because it's, it's almost the only one they could because otherwise there would be a lot of complaints on, on some of the people around the world being you know, disadvantaged. So I think it made sense. I tried not to pay too much attention to it. Um, when I, uh, where it did matter is, is when I guess it was um, pack two in, in my first... Yeah, in my first draft pack two, when I or or like the the pick two when I got past past after the first pick, uh, I saw only one ninja card in the pack, and I thought that there's like a there's some po- probability that this is a, a fully Japanese pack, and if it's a fully Japanese pack, um, and there's only one ninja card left, I think it's like an eighty percent plus probability that somebody took a ninja cards. Ninja card. I think we did the math early on in the, you know, when they did the Japanese box breaks. So I tried to avoid ninja based on on that. So I thought it was like at least a fifty percent chance that somebody took a ninja card. Um, but that's pretty much it. After that, I didn't really pay much attention. And I think Tarek even said that they were like a mix of Belgian and Japanese. That that would really surprise me. But that's a that's a lot of work that they had to put in to build these packs. So I guess kudos for that. But I. I did as they told me. I, I focused on the fundamentals, and I think it was fine. Yeah, I mean, six zero draft. I think it probably worked out all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, Yuha. I want to play uh, before we run out of time to play pack one, pick one with you. But I just want to give you kind of the floor to just anything else that you want to mention from the PT. Any kind of you know big takeaways you had from you know your six zero draft run. Anything else you want to want to tell us about before we play pack one, pick one? I think um, most of the learnings. From this draft format, I um, we're not like very new news to most of you. So uh, listening to limited time only, listening to on the bubble, I could hear most of those things in in those. But the the decision tree I had to learn for myself. So if there's one takeaway for for, for the listening listeners here, is that decision tree is is a little bit weird because of Ranger, because of the things I said about Riptide and Azalea being very different. Um, Azalea only really wanting to play pumps and arrows and and just a couple other cards then it means that your decision tree on picking your hero 
has a very particular shape. And you need to keep that in mind when you're picking your early picks. And you need to keep that in mind when you think that a card keeps you open, but it actually doesn't as much as you think. So that's, that's the one thing I want uh, everyone to pick up on. Cool. Okay, great takeaway. All right, let's play pack one, pick one. Uh, you have a pack that's been sent your way. I'm going to, while you maybe deliberate if you haven't already, I'm just going to read the contents of the pack out for those audio listeners, uh, video video watchers can see this on YouTube. But in this pack, we have a red Razor's Edge, a blue Scout the Periphery, a red Descendant Gustwave, a yellow Prowl, a blue Destructive Deliberation, red Falcon Wing, uh, blue One-Two Punch, yellow Peace of Mind, blue Spire Sniping, Blade, Cuff, Frailty Trap, Backstab, Boulder Trap, and then we have a Foil Equipment in Fleetfoot Sandals. So I'm gonna pass it over to you. Uh, Yuha, what are the first things you're looking at in this pack? How do you kind of sort of sort or look at your pack first of all, and then uh, I guess talk us through what you're taking? Well, first of all, I of course need to know if this is a Japanese or a Belgian pack, but if, if we're drafting all Japanese, then um, then I would need to know how many of the class commons are there. So can I cut a really strong signal? Um, and that also depends a lot on who's to my left. Like, if I know the player to my left, are they going to know the pack collation? Are they going to pay attention to me cutting a, a ninja card or a ranger card or something like that? Um, most often, I would say the answer is no, because there's always a good chance that even a strong player just, you know, doesn't pay attention at the time, you know, into that. And then, then, then your very, very advanced signaling stuff goes, goes to waste. So I would rather focus a little bit more on the fundamentals, but that's the first thing I'd, I'd like to know. Um, Secondly, uh, I'm noticing that there are two, two, and two of the class commons, so that's you know maybe a useful thing to know. Um, and then I look at all the strong cards, the the first pickable cards, and I think in this pack um, I see four. I'd say so. There's Razor's Edge Red, which is probably the strongest uh, assassin common, especially for Arachne. Um, Descendant Gustwave Red, which is probably the strongest Katsu common. Uh, and a really strong strong one in uh, in Benji as well. Uh, Blade Cuff, uh, which is you know you always just want to make sure that you have have Blade Break equipment and it keeps you open for for those two classes. And then there's Frailty Trap, which is a good assassin card, a really great Riptide card, and not that good in Azalea. Um, but those four is is what I would think about. Um, I think blade cuff is something that you know it, it fills a slot that you can probably fill later. So I'm not super high on that, but it's it is the one of these four that keeps you the most open, I would say. Um, frailty trap. It's yeah, like if if you want to stay open for riptide, then having picked traps is the best way to do that. Because if you decide you know around pick five or seven that you want to go riptide, if you have a couple traps already then it helps you a tremendous amount because you're like the dream riptide deck has like 10 traps um so i would consider that to keep me open or then i would pick one of the strong class commons and out of those i think razor's edge is probably a little bit stronger and also you end up on assassin more often than you end up on ninja so <laughs> it kind of it pseudo keeps you open in that sense um but I'd, I'd probably pick the Razor's Edge Red just because of how extremely strong it is in Arachne, where you, I guess, most often end up as, a, as an assassin. Um, but I wouldn't consider that locking me in in any way, right? So if I see that assassin is cut or if I start seeing strong cards for other 
other classes, I can pick those and I'm not married to my pick. So Razor's Edge Red is what I pick here. Oh, lock it in. Great pick, I think. Uh, I mean, agree with everything you've said. Uh, the only other things I wanted to add to kind of what you've what you've said there about this pack is I think if you do end up taking that frailty trap, I mean, there's a potential that you 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 wield the boulder trap, which is not the most exciting card. But if you end up in uh, in Riptide, as you say, and you may be getting a pick six or seven signal, and then you wield that back, it's uh, it's a, it's a nice to have. And then the other thing was, if you do take the Descendant Gustwave here, you know, you talked about that kind of sending a signal. I mean, you, you take the, the best ninja card in the pack and you pass a card that, that, is, that is fine and you would, you'd be more than happy to wheel back in that one-two punch. And you, you probably, you almost potentially could as well, uh, you know, if you did commit to ninja. But like you say, taking that doesn't mean you're committed to ninja. Uh, you, you know, not married to that first pick. So, yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting pack. It has a, you know, a few options, like you say. I think I'd be on Razor's Edge as well. I think that card is just super, super safe and also very powerful. So, all right, that's pack one, pick one. Yuha, thank you for playing. We're going to wrap it up there. I did just want to give you sort of this last minute to, I guess, you know, if people want to find you, they maybe want to follow you on, on social media or what you're doing in, in Flesh and Blood. Uh, maybe you could also tell us, you know, where to find you, but uh, what events are you going to be at for the rest of the year? People, I'm sure, would, would love to know. Sure. So you can find me on Twitter um, at BrambleSpark. Um, that's um, I've been more and more active there, especially after the PT. Um, I, I really, really love Fab Twitter. I'm really surprised about how positive a gaming community can be as it is in Fab. So, so uh, let's let's keep that up. Um, Event-wise, I will be going to Calling Antwerp next week, or depending on when this comes out, maybe it's this week. Um, and Calling Birmingham in, in July is still up in the air. I would I would really like to go. Um, the the European callings are a really really fun fun uh, events to travel to and and meet all the people. And worlds, I would very much like to go. I'm I'm currently qualified on both limited and 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 constructed rating. Let's see what happens down the line. But um, uh, that depends on if we can make our schedules work. Because my my wife will be working at that time. I'll be on parental leave. And we need to see if we can we can make the timing work. But uh, Worlds, of course, is I would really really love to go. And um, yeah, that's it. Oh, well, I want to say a massive thank you, Yuha, for for coming on. Uh, massive congratulations on your your PT run and your top four. Um, and you know, hopefully, I do get the chance to to see you in person at Worlds. But again, just want to say a massive thank you and and thanks for coming on. Thank you. Awesome. Well, until next week, we'll see you in the next episode of Limited Time Only.